This week, my guest is Chris Salvo of Electrified Garage. Sit back because you don't want to miss it. Welcome back to Ratchet and Wrench Radio, strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm your host, Chris Jones, and today I'm talking to Chris Salvo of Electrified Garage. Uh, We're going to take a look at Chris's history with electric vehicle repair. We're going to talk about some of his biggest wins and challenges in this arena. Uh, He's going to talk about some, some of the greatest opportunities that the EV market presents for auto repair shops. He's going to discuss how shop owners who are interested in electric vehicle repair can learn more about the topic and approach it from a shop perspective. And he's going to talk about what to look for in the near future as it pertains to electric vehicle working knowledge and what shop owners and technicians need to know in terms of training. So without further ado, here's Chris. Well, hey, Chris, uh, give our audience an overview of who you are, what your role is, and what Electrified Garage is. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, So my company is Electrified Garage. Uh, It's the first ground up all EV based uh, repair company. Um, We started as an alternative for Tesla service and kind of have graduated to a little bit of everything. So we're pretty agnostic and we'll work on any electric vehicle. Um, We also do crazy stuff like kids power wheels and hot rod those. Um, and then we also do EV conversion as well. So we'll take a gasoline car and convert it to electric. What made you decide to specialize in electric vehicle repair? So I originally started life working uh, at a BMW dealership. And one of the guys I worked with was the first technician for Tesla in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, had me come down and check out the place. Uh, I ended up applying for the job and got it. You know, there was a big opportunity from the third party aspect of doing like aftermarket modifications, customization, um, and, and kind of going back to the roots of what Tesla had originally been for service and, and kind of has gotten away from now. So it seemed like a good opportunity for us to jump into that space where there wasn't anybody else there and uh, kind of make a name for ourselves that we have. Now, earlier you mentioned that you did um, EV conversions. What goes into converting an ICE into an EV? So there's a lot of things that come into play that people don't take into consideration. Uh, obviously, you need to take all the you know, engine transmission and all the fuel system out of the vehicle. Um, but then because you don't have an engine anymore, all the accessories uh, become a la carte stuff. So your power steering, heat and air conditioning, those all are things that have to be like standalone systems now. Um, so you have to take those into consideration. Do you need those things or not? Um, but then you also have to take into consideration, uh, you know, how far do you want to go? How much power do you want to make? Does it need to be two wheel drive or four wheel drive? Um, do you want DC fast charging or is just charging at home going to be adequate for what your needs are? Um, and then, you know, weight distribution is the other big thing. So these vehicles traditionally probably weren't meant to have an extra thousand pounds of batteries the way a, a Tesla or other electric vehicle would. Um, so we need to make sure that where we put that weight doesn't mess with uh, the, the driving dynamics of the vehicle. So it's not all front heavy or, or all in the back of the vehicle. And then I think budget's really the biggest thing. Like everybody thinks that it's cheap to do. And in reality, um, you know, it, you could easily buy two gasoline cars for the, what the cost of one EV conversion usually costs. From the perspective of a consumer and shop owner, if down the line, as we get closer to the full-on electric future and zero emissions, a person brings mm-hmm. in an ICE car into an auto repair shop and says, hey, I, I want to convert this. Is that a practical thing to do or is it better for the person to just buy you know, uh, an EV outright? 
So I, I think the, the biggest issue is uh, right off the shelf configured kits for the most part. There are a few vehicles for like air-cooled Porsches and some simpler cars. But for newer stuff, there isn't an off-the-shelf kit. And so there's a lot of engineering that has to go into that. Uh, so I would say, you know, at least initially right now, it's not cost-effective. Maybe once the cost of the batteries comes down and the other components get cheaper, then it might be an easier pill to swallow because now you have to integrate all of the existing electronics in the vehicle to the new EV stuff. So, you know, a very important thing would be your airbags. Obviously, in an accident, you want to make sure that stuff still works. And in order for that to work, we have to basically build a bridge between the new electric vehicle conversion stuff and the existing safety hardware that's in the vehicle. Uh, that stuff is basically reverse engineering somebody else's software and isn't, isn't quick or cheap to do. So that's usually the limiting factor between you coming in with like a 2009 Honda Accord and saying, I want it to be electric and me telling you, okay, well, it's going to be six figures to do this because there's a tremendous amount of uh, research and design and engineering that has to go into it. Okay. Now, what have been some of your biggest, your biggest successes with electric vehicle repair? Uh, so we had one gentleman from uh, Mexico City, Mexico. Uh, he bought a Tesla that was in an accident. Uh, it was a total loss. He had somebody else do all the body work and couldn't get it to run, drive, or charge. So he literally towed it across the border into Texas, had somebody else tow it all the way to New Hampshire. We spent about three weeks with the vehicle, restoring all of the high voltage systems that had been damaged. Uh, and then he sent it back to Mexico. <clears throat> and upon arrival, Tesla reinspected the car and, and actually was willing to re-enable his supercharging. Um, that's been a big thing with, with salvage cars and as a whole is that Tesla shuts off the ability for them to use that charging network. And arguably that's, that's the major deciding factor between Tesla and the rest of them is, is that infrastructure that's there. What else? We had, a, we had a kid that was kind of on the spectrum for autism and was using a, a Razor like electric dirt bike. And the dirt bike just couldn't keep up with what he was trying to do. He's a pretty big kid. Um, so we basically hot rodded it. We put a bigger battery in it. We put a bigger motor in it. And now that kid is you know blasting around the house and the bike tires him out instead of the other way around. And what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to navigate in the area of electric vehicles? I mean, the biggest one that everybody mentions is, is parts. Parts is not easy to come by. And obviously the last two years didn't make it any easier for anybody. Uh, so really supply chain is the biggest issue is, you know, we can diagnose the car, tell what's wrong with it, but all the parts you know, are kind of dead in the water. Um, so, you know, dealing with a lot of the OEMs are now getting cagey about selling high voltage components over the counter and who is doing the repairs, um, as well as a lot of the third party people are like, well, I know what I have now and the price of that stuff. Used parts are more expensive than new parts now in a lot of cases. So um, that scarcity is making it difficult for us to, to do things in an efficient manner and not have cars stuck for you know, a little bit of time waiting for parts. Okay. So in your opinion, what are some of the greatest opportunities that the EV market presents for repair shops? It's a completely different demographic as a whole. These people generally, uh, it was a reach for them to afford the car in the first place. They wanted to last uh, a longer period of time. So the, the typical like five years, 100,000 miles before I get a new vehicle, these people are looking at it as more like almost double that in terms of the lifespan of the vehicle. Uh, and because there's a lot less moving parts, the expectation, you know, is legit. They should, should be able to hit 200, 300, 400,000 miles uh, without any issues. So there's, you know, 80% of that car is the same as a regular car, brakes, suspension, all the uh, low voltage system inside the vehicle for like radio and lights and stuff like that. That's all the same as a regular car. So 
the opportunity to maintain that vehicle for a longer period of time before they go back to the dealer and buy a new one that then has a warranty and they, you know, they are locked into that ecosystem. Um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for people to develop good lasting relationships and expect to be with that customer for a longer period of time, uh, keeping that vehicle on the road and, or roadworthy, I should say. And for a shop owner who's interested in getting started with electric vehicle repair, or even just learning mm -hmm. about the topic, you know, how do you recommend they approach it? So the, obviously the biggest thing, and this was a, a struggle, even when I went to automotive school is like electrical class seemed to be the great equalizer of, you know, who truly understood how to work on a car and who was just, you know, a straight up parts replacer. So um, they need to have a solid understanding of how uh, electricity works. They need to have a solid understanding of how CAN bus and the other uh, buses, which are basically like the like ethernet of the car, so to speak. Um, they need to understand how all those systems work because that's the majority of what these vehicles are now. Um, but then they also need to understand how does the high voltage system interact. Once you grasp that part, it's very similar to like if you worked on one gasoline engine, you kind of you know, can get your way around most others. All the components are the same, but just how they're assembled in the vehicle might be different from one manufacturer to the other. And I think the biggest thing is to not be afraid and, you know, obviously be safe about it, but don't be afraid to get in it and, and touch it, feel it, maybe buy a car and let the, your techs take it apart and figure out how it works. So many people are just scared of it because of the implications of high voltage. And in reality, as long as you're smart about how you're doing things, there, there's very minimal risk to you or your people. As we look into the near future, what skills do you think would be important for shops to possess in regards to electric vehicle knowledge and repair? I mean, I think the biggest... The biggest things is going to have to be somewhat of some software programming and coding and understanding how that uh, part of it works more so than a traditional vehicle because these cars are basically just computers on wheels at that point. Uh, software can make or break a vehicle or, or, or software can break hardware in that case and asking hardware to do things it shouldn't uh, is going to be a big thing. And then obviously just in, in general, you need to have a very strong background in what, uh, how electricity works how low voltage works, how high voltage works, and both uh, alternating current and DC current, because we deal with all of that inside the vehicle. Let me ask you a different question, you know, regarding, mm -hmm. you know, learning EV, understanding the technology for, for a technician, uh, and for the, you know, of course, we're in the midst of a, a shortage, labor shortage, and people are trying to yep. find qualified techs to just do mechanical repair. What's that going to do for the salary requirement of a tech once electricity becomes like a big thing in the shop or starts to tip over? And that becomes a main thing down the road. Is that going to, because I mean, the, the tech is eventually going to become more like an engineer at, a, at some point. What's that going to do for shops in terms of profitability? So we're actually kind of seeing that already at this point where uh, if you've worked at Tesla for any reason, period of time, and you come out and you, know, you can kind of name your price as to what you want. And, and, you know, because everybody else is trying to get into that space, it's like a tech company in, in, in terms of like what they're offering people for salary. Um, I think that as a whole, the, the expectation is they're going to be making more money because they're doing more high level stuff. Um, but that's probably going to, it's going to have to translate into, you know, either higher shop labor rates or an adjustment as to how does, how do technicians be compensated as a whole, you know? So the, the old, uh, way of doing things was to have flat rate where, you know, if it costs, if, if the book says it's three hours and it takes you two and a half, you still get paid for three. But if it took you six hours, you're still only getting paid for three. In a lot of cases with these types of issues, you can't really make money in that regard because it's, it's really hard to know where the problem is. 
And it's not just like, you know, you're going to have 10 cars with the same problem. Every car is usually different in some way, shape or form. So, you know, for at least us at Electrify Garage, all of our guys are salary and they're paid to do the job right the first time. There isn't an incentive for cranking it up faster than necessary uh, because quality is the bigger issue. And I think that that, especially where you've got safety with high voltage, you know, it's going to be more important to do it right the first time than it is to try to rush stuff through the shop. And it's just going to be interesting to see how do dealerships deal with that and how do they change their compensation package to, to reflect that. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today and kind of sharing your knowledge and background and information on electric vehicles. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you having me. It was a good time. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for us here today at Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Uh, I'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe to our email newsletter, which goes out daily. Uh, and you can find that at ratchetandwrench.com. That's R-A-T-C-H-E-T-A-N-D-W-R-E-N-C-H.com. And may the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.